Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Jimmy Quinn. Jimmy, welcome to Luck on Sunday. Nick, thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for having me here. And 1984 to now, that is one hell of a riding career. But you, you still look as sprightly and enthusiastic for the game as ever. Yeah, I still enjoy it. I love it. Get out of bed. I eat, drink, sleep the job, you know. Um, but I wouldn't have thought back in 84 I'd still be doing it. But I can do nothing else, so I still want to do it. So hence why I'm here. So what, what started it all off for you? Well, at home, we always had ponies. and Like, uh, as, as a kid uh, in Ireland, everyone's got ponies. So uh, it was hunting, show jumping and kids, neighbours, and we used to be just racing each other around the fields every day, so I just progressed from there. And so then you went to the racing school, and I went to high school in those days, wasn't it? Yeah, in the 80s, it was tough. Uh, I went to race, and um, Mr O'Sullivan, he was the director, very, very good man, very nice man, passed away. Um, and uh, it, there was a big queue to get in there. I think there was 75, there was three courses of 25. There was 75 went on it, and then there was 25 picked on our course. And uh, at the end of, I think it's 11 months or 10 month course, 16 finished. Really? So, so it really was like survival of the fittest. It was a sort of knockout. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you did the first two months you did in the army quotation school and those privates didn't miss you. <laughs> and I remember there, yeah, when it was so, so well, like the lads out of the cities, Cork and Dublin, place like that, they didn't even know what hay or straw was. You know, go and bed that horse down with some straw and they were putting them down with hay and they, that was it straight away, bang, 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 you got to slap. You were never told that was hay or straw. You just, you learned the hard way. And this, this was the Army Equitation School? That was the Army Equitation School, which was run then by um, uh, Pat Phelan, who's now quite a successful trainer in Epsom. And do you, do you look back on that and think that was the right grounding? Or do you look at it now and think, my God, thank God, those days are over? They get locked up. <laughs> they get locked up for GBH or whatever, whatever they were doing. They would definitely get locked up now. It wouldn't happen. Um, it was just rough and ready, but you learned and you, you progressed as you went along. And it was, I remember one thing very well. And I asked the question five years ago. There was always there was twenty five us, and there was twenty five horses we had to do our ponies, right? And there was always twenty three kit bags, twenty three forks, twenty three brushes, twenty three muck sacks. So I said to Pat Phelan, "Why was there always twenty three? And he said to make us competitive. And the sharpest one clicked on quick because if you were last off the bus or the last two off the bus, didn't get the kit bag, didn't get the fork, didn't get the brush, <laughs> got the hiding. So you made sure you were off the bus. You had to get out of bed early, get your breakfast, get your front seat on the bus, and then you were off to get your equipment. That is quite extraordinary. It's quite, when you think back how it worked, it made, it made you, from the world go, from the time you got out of bed, you had to... So it made you hungry, it made you It made you want to do your job, mm. you know. And with that as well, it was goals at the end of every week and every month, you know, you got whatever like this. And then at the end of the, at the, the two-month thing, there was, we got presentated who was the the best approved or whatever, I think I finished second. Uh, Ron Hillis, who no longer rides, was very good. He was champion, um, overall champion that year. And uh, as far as you were concerned then, did you believe that there was a career for you in Ireland or did you know that coming to England was something you were going to have I to was do quite soon? We were, I, I, Unfortunately, I broke my leg after six weeks in the school <clears throat> um, and then I, went, I was allocated to Mr Ox, mm-hmm. Mr John Ox. Loved the job, but I kind of like used to look at the... Um, the papers every day. I stayed with a man who passed away now, Tommy McMahon, he loved betting. I used to look at the racing paper, Sport and Life, or whatever, every day. And you see so much racing in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I thought there was like probably three meetings a week in Ireland. 
and some of the meetings were mixed and I could see more opportunities here and I went to see Mr O'Sullivan and he sent me to Moulton, North Yorkshire, where I had three seasons with Mr Rowan, Mr Pat Rowan. He was a very, very good man, great man to work for uh, and a great man to be, you know, apprenticed to, you know. And who were the contemporaries of yours in Moulton at the time? Who was sort of there? I came over, me and Richard Fahey came together actually. Did you? He was now a very successful trainer, as we all know. <laughs> me and him were together. He was, yeah, he's had a few winners. Yeah, he's had he's a couple, yeah. Um, he was a five-pound claimer. He was apprenticed to Julian Lyde on the Curra. And I'd, I'd not rode. I didn't have any rides, you know. And um, I came here, and my first ride was was for Pat Rowan that year. I came in January, February. And then my first ride was in March. Doncaster. Didn't worry about the ride. I was worried about who was drawn beside me. Famous Lester Piggott. That's all I worried me. And he was in the stalls right next to you. What were he you was... thinking? What were you thinking at that moment? Well, you know, everyone will know at the first ride... It was six furlongs, remember a well, and I think there was like, I was probably ten to go, and you're there, you're waiting, you're waiting for the race, you could just keep looking around. When the last horse was coming in, remember this, is, this was yesterday, Lester went, keep straight. I went, what? He said to me, keep straight, because I'm looking, what? Because they jumped, I missed it ten lengths. <laughs> <laughs> He's caught me out straight away, so I used that one quite a lot myself, with the inexperienced kids. And it worked. Just, oh yeah, 100%. And this was presumably a ruse he would try every time. A... I knew every every trick in the book, you know. A rookie came Yeah, came every trick in the book. I mean, you look through, you read his books, you look through his careers. He was ruthless. He knew every trick in the book. How, how in awe were people of his presence when you were sitting in the, in the jockey's room? Well, you were, he was were nervous of him. You were nervous and you had a lot of respect. Mm. Um, there's a lot more respect. There was a lot more respect then from the younger generation. You know, did all the boys, you were like... A bit more intimidated, you'd be, you'd be like, um, you're going to ask them questions, you'd be like, you're thinking about what you're going to ask them, how you're going to present yourself to them. Whereas, like, now you get a kid coming up to you, and you'd, or even if you give a kid a bollock and they kind of look at you, you'd say, Who are you? <laughs> but whereas then you were like, you know, if, if someone did, did Mark Birch, Lauren Merson was very good to me. Mark Lin- Birch? Yeah. Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay Charnock? Yeah, they've all passed away. But I suppose when I was coming through later in life, <clears throat> The ones who were very helpful was um, in Newmarket was Bruce Ray, was a very good jockey, very good now. And Ray Cochran, they were probably like, and Mick Canan, they were the guys I kind of used to look at every day and think, you know, I want to ride like them, you know. What, what was it about them that you particularly admired? Bruce was very, very, very professional. Ray as well, and Mick, you know, they're always very professional, you know. Even when you watch them ride, you, know, you go through their videos of, of them riding, and they were very, <clears throat> if you approached them in any way, you could ask them anything, and they would help you. You know, even even outside racing, you know, buy property, do this, do this, do, you know, whatever, which I took on board. And were I, you know, they're all pretty straight, you know. Uh, you had a good career, a successful career. You were you were light. Yeah. Which helped. Yeah. The but weights then were 7-7. Seven, seven. They progressed with the population, uh, with the people growing up mm. and getting bigger. I mean, you know, now the minimum weight is eight stone. You don't get many eight stones in these big handicaps anymore generally through the horse population. The handicap system's been so tight. I mean, if you look at the, I think the lightest weight, was only one race at Royal Ascot that went down. The rest mm. of the days were all, I think the bottom was 8, 12, 8, 11. Sure, if you're aging rings for 8, 11, 8, 12, you can get right, right more at that weight. So <laughs> you, you can go somewhere else, you know. But th- then your, your career essentially suffered because the weights were going up a little bit. Is that why you started looking for opportunities abroad? No, I was quite lucky... Um, I think with the Orwater came along, I was very successful in the Orwater, mm. and I was riding for a lot of trainers, uh, you know, 
a trainer uh, who I rode for till he packed up, was a very good man to ride for, um, Hugh Conridge, who ran his horse all year round. Great, great guy to ride for, very easy. Uh, never ever pressurise you in a race, give you a lot of confidence. Another trainer was the same, was never giving instructions. Uh, Jeff Pierce, I rode a lot of winners from, who had winners both, both codes, you know. Mm -hmm. I think through riding the volume of winners, I got um, offered jobs abroad, good jobs abroad, whereas like uh, Hong Kong, I did a season there. Because um, fa famously, you were the hardest working man in the weighing room. You were getting a thousand rides a year on a routine basis. Yeah, that was like back, I think, 23 years ago, when it wouldn't, wouldn't be as much racing, you would just bang everything. I had a very good agent, David Pollington, very good agent. Um, he was, I think he'd been for 18 years. And I got him through Mr. Rohn, and he was phenomenal. He could tell you where and what. He could pick races out for trainers. Mm. Uh, he was so far ahead of everybody else. He was a brilliant agent. And he looked after Kieran Fallon in his He did, Kieran. When Kieran came, I think a year after I was, after him doing me, then he looked after Kieran. Mm. Uh, he was at Mr. Fitzgerald's care in Moulton. And then Ramsons, then it progressed, progressed, progressed. But people talk about burnout now. We, we talk a lot about looking after jockeys, looking after the workforce yeah. in, in horse racing. Clearly something that never afflicted you or did it. You were prepared to throw yourself headlong into ride after ride after ride relentlessly and still seem to be smiling at the end of it. Then you didn't, uh, then you didn't have the, um, what you've got now. You know, your dietitians, your, you know, this, mm. whatever it is. So how on earth did you do it? I don't know. I look back now and I think, how did I do that? You, but when you're in, when you're sort of in the system, you just do it, mm. and you don't ask any questions. I, I don't know. I just, I did it, enjoyed it, and you know, I, I could be riding. I was saying, I remember, uh, Haydick was on yesterday. I remember, I said, I said to some of the lads, I remember, I used to Haydick going up to Carlisle and then back home, or even stay at Carlisle and go to air the next, like for today, things like that. Which, like now, if someone said to me to do that, no, no, chance. But then it was just like you did it. You know, you kind of like. Dave was good. He'd, 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 he'd pick it where you'd, you'd go, you'd travel, you could be there for two days. Mm. He wouldn't have you at air and then Brighton or whatever it is. He, he sussed everything out. So well, you'd stay overnight and you'd, you'd rest up in the morning and have a day and night and stuff like that. He was good. So it was very important to have someone to manage it your was life very, as very well good, as your, yeah. as your you career. Need, you, know, as any, you know, any successful person, you need someone behind you there to, mm. you know, to help you along because um, you're, you're kind of focused and busy on your, on your riding actually riding up the horse itself, working the races out. Yeah. Throughout, you know, you just, people think, you know, it's easy. You just go out and you just walk, jump on a horse and ride it. You don't. You've got to do your homework. You know, you've got to do, position the horses around you and, uh, and for yourself as well, you know, what, yeah. you can't sit behind a bad horse. You've got to make sure everything's right, you know, and smooth. Tell me about your, your time in Hong Kong. Yeah, I had a great time. I got offered a job in Hong Kong, 1999, um, for Mr. Khan. Things were going nice and smooth. <laughs> Very smooth, and I won the first race ever around the year 2000 on a horse called Floral Joy, Happy Valley. Uh, I think a month after that or whatever, things were getting a bit rocky, and it was, I got the sack. So why did you get the sack? He said that I rode a horse, and I don't know, something went wrong on the race. I rode this horse, and something went wrong on the race, and he kicked off, and he called for his own inquiry. And I remember Mr. Shrek, the steward secretary, I said, well, if he gets me banned for this, he obviously didn't want me. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to get me banned. And he said, if you get me banned for this, I'll appeal. I'll take get an American steward or American or a UK appeal. And I said, you'll all look, whatever. So they overruled his decision. And then he just decided to sack me. Mm -hmm. I don't know, things were, his horses weren't running very well. And I don't know, I was getting taken the blame for it. And, and then I was very 
Probably didn't help myself because I was too headstrong. I was too, like, rather than sitting down and having a conversation with a man, I just go, whatever, you know, yeah. whatever you want. I should have probably sat down then, but I was too, like... <laughs> then Mr. Allen, Mr. Ivan Allen, I went to, as a club rider to him. It was very, very, you know, very, very uh, successful with him. Wrote a lot of winners. And then, so I suppose you read the papers then, hence I think I got very drunk one night, and that's <laughs> enough, you know. Things happen <laughs> with alcohol. <laughs> so, uh, and now, because there's still several versions of this story out, out there. So I don't, I don't know the, the the real version. So you're the only person who can who can tell me the story. So but I didn't know myself, but it was on camera, so I could tell you what I see on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you you had a few drinks. Yeah, quite a few drinks. Yeah, yeah. And, and I went for a slash against someone's car. It happened to be Mr. Cans. And I grabbed the air to hold myself up, and as I'm weaning on the car, the whole lot came, psh, fell over, brought the lot, scratched the car. Anyways, I wasn't so much the thing, it was me weaning on the car, I think it was more of a face thing. So it was made quite a big yeah. story of it. Anyways, I should have gone and apologised the next morning, but I didn't. And then it just got from there to there to there to there, and it progressed, it got a bit, little bit out of hand, uh, a lot of TV coverage. Uh, the man's a very, very powerful man, um, which I didn't realise then, but at the time I did. Uh, I had all my phones turned off, and of course when I turned everything on, it was like, oh my God, what have I done here, you know? Well, you've weed on his car and ripped off the aerial, but that, that but, was, but then it kind of gets, it grows it, it in. No, it, yeah. uh, whatever happened, um, yeah, I went there, I, I took a drive around to see what was happening, there was loads of police there and TV, TV crew, and dusting the car down for like a crime scene, I thought, what's happening there? See, it's a bit like this where I'm not supposed to be laughing. No, but it, hey, <laughs> listen, I wasn't laughing when I see it. I was no. like, what have I done? And then when I drove back, and then I spoke to Mr. Allen, uh, Lord Mercer, and he said to me, you know, be careful here, blah, 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 blah. I had to get a solicitor, and it got a bit big, and it was a quick, very quick Stuart's inquiry, and two days, three days later, where I got, um, I got, Immediately banned for two months. Mm. Didn't get my license relinquished there. Um, I was quite annoyed myself. It was a big bleep. I was very annoyed actually. And then I had to go to a court case, and that was kicked out straight away. Um, and I got everything back. I mean, but you had to come back to the UK essentially. Yeah, yeah I came yeah. back to the UK. Yeah, uh, got my license back and started riding in the UK. And, and then within, so like I think through Mr. Allen, Mr. Winfred Breaches, who's German, within quite short of the time, I got a phone call from Germany from Mr. Uh, from the Baron von Ullmann, mm -hmm. um, to go as his stable jockey to Peter Sheridan. Great job, great job at the time. That brilliant. He was lead Derby winners, whatever. Very successful there. Um, the year before, he all his three olds and four olds did real good. Unfortunately, the year I got there, they'd all kind of burnt out. So I was hoping on the two olds which were pretty good. Mm -hmm. And he won the derby, but it wasn't the, the, the Baron's horse. It was, um, I think it was Slendham or something. Uh, John Reed wrote him, mm -hmm. Boreal, which won the yep. coronation the year after yes. with Kieran Fallon. But I was on, because I, I was retained by the Baron, uh, we had five in the race. I had a ride for the Baron, you know. Um, hence goes, if the Baron didn't run, probably would have won the German derby. <laughs> so you were back again? So I did the season there, and then I think I got got and then I got a I got a three month contract in Hong Kong as a club writer. After that, and I went there, 
and I think uh, Sue Reed's got the job then for Peter, Peter Sheridan. And um, I went to Hong Kong for three months, and uh, I didn't get an extension. Kind of didn't enjoy it then. Didn't I don't know. I didn't enjoy it as much, um, and I can't, didn't enjoy the racing and whatever. And it, it kind of affected me. I thought, well, if I stay here, I won't. You know, I mean, I was getting yeah. a bit stale. And for the first time probably in my life then, when I came back, I said, oh, I ain't going to ride for a month. I didn't. And then I got the back again. You I was like, let's again. go again. Because I was like, oh. But uh, then I came back and then ever since I just flew away. Uh, you, you had one significant blip in, in this country back in, in 2011 when you got six months back. Yes, yeah, yeah. For passing information for a reward. Now, it was at a time... There was no it, rewards. It was not, it was not like I was supposed to get rewards. There was no rewards. At the time, it was... Oh, I was like... So I was suicidal. It was like, you know, your life's... Your life's over. You know, what's happened here? I think I got charged in May. The hearings in October. You ride, you're getting seven, eight, nine rides a day. And now, all of a sudden, you're like, bumped the following week. One here, one there, one there. And everyone's like... I think I became paranoid. Everyone's like, you always know, they're talking about this one's talking about oh, going on, what's happening here but it was basically through I think the previous year I had a fall at Doncaster mm. and I fractured some vertebrae in my back and um, oh I've got an idea I'm going to buy some falls I'm going to do some pinnock and whatever blah, blah, blah. and just through meeting people at sales and talking to people I was selling these uh, yearlings on and that's how it transpired you know just you know home number, telephone numbers, there you go, have them, have them. Chatting away, chatting away. Will this win? Nah, can that win? No, can that win? Yeah, certainly, as you do. And that's snowball. So essentially, through a second career, you're getting involved with people who it's probably not that good an idea to get involved with while you're still a licensed jockey. Did that make you think... No, these were registered owners. These had 15, 18 horses in trade. That's right, yeah. Um, They they were warned off for, for a long time, weren't they? At the time, they weren't warned off. But, uh, but they subsequently... Yeah, 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 yeah. But they had horses in training, and yeah. I've ridden for them. Yeah. Ridden for the, you know, I, ride for the, I was riding for the trainers that they were training the horses, mm-hmm. you know. I was unaware to what was happening. You know, I was, I'm probably too, too open to people, you know. Did it, make you, did it have a, a significant impact on your, on your life and yeah. the way you went about things? Yeah. And, and yeah. do you yeah. feel better for it in a weird way? I don't feel better for it. I feel... Well, now I'm, I'm more... I'm more um, aware when do mm. people do approach me, you know what I mean? Or oh, let's get this guy vetted, or let's, you know what I mean? Who's asking me questions, you know what I mean? Uh, whereas before I would chat away. Yeah. I'm, too, I'm probably too open. You so know, you're a bit some, more wary now? Oh, if someone rang me up and I didn't know, I'd be like, we held a number or whatever, like, I'd go, I'd be I'm too frightened to answer the phone. Cases like, could be anybody, you know what I mean? Mm. If they don't want to expose themselves, you know, if it's an overseas number, okay, fine. And, and tell me about how, how, sort of how it affected you psychologically because you had a I know you'd had the incident in Hong Kong which was unfortunate but by and large you'd had a pretty blemish free career in terms of your in terms of your reputation and you were having as I say a thousand rides a year yeah, you're yeah. riding for all these trainers it's mm. not like people didn't want to use you and then suddenly you, you got a six month ban you put your hands up you took it you didn't appeal but how did it affect you in here? I was like I don't know when I got a six month ban I was um, I thought, right, I better just do something, you know what I mean? Because I'm very hyperactive anyways. Yeah. So I, I did a lot of hunting there for three months and it finished. And I was always keen on the stud side of the industry, you know what I mean? So Dale, Dale, can't even be second name, was running long haul. So I live in Cheveley, 
So I happened to see him. He said, oh, start, start. When can you start? I said, oh, no, start tomorrow. So I went on, I walked on the stud, where it was the busy part of the stud time, which was, because I couldn't ride out, remember? I, I was like, I yeah. can't go in training. So I stayed away from everybody. And I kind of, that kind of woke me up a bit in racing. It's like, when you see where the whole, like normally, like when you're, as a jockey, you just rock up, ride horses, blah, blah, blah. That's it, whatever. Or if it's not very good, you kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just whatever. But you don't see, got his owner breeders, and it kind of makes you respect you a lot more. Um, they're, they're foals, they're, they're their babies all the way through, if you understand me. And when I was at that, kind of doing all that, I planned on then, when I retired, I would go on the stud side of it. But when I did it for three months, I went, no, no chance. Yeah. It's too hard. Yeah. And you see it's too many, you know, little foals going wrong and it got to be, you know, the dire things. Like that. And I thought, can't be dealing with this, you know. Um, when you came back yeah. from, from, from that period, you ended up developing an association or continuing an association that you'd had for quite some time with, with the late Sir Henry Cecil. Yeah. And this is when you, you got to ride Frankel. I did, yeah. I remember. I remember as if it was yesterday. Um, it was Saturday morning. We were galloping. I had three gallops, and the first horse I rode was Frankel. And the lad said to me, "Oh, this is whatever." And I said, "Oh yeah, I think it was a bit late. I was galloping with somebody else. Mister Sessa was always he was late galloping. I was galloping with somebody else. It was a bit late getting there, so it was like rushing. I didn't want anything to go wrong. Oh, this is so and so. He's a bit keen to sit last in this gallop, and I went, "Okay." No so problem. you were never told this is a superstar or whatever. No, no, no. I I don't think he'd done much work by then. So, anyways, I canted him down. He was beautiful and relaxed. I sat last of the three. And I thought, I can't let this horse keep walking six farms. I pulled him out to four. And I gave him a squeeze, click. I think he left half the hour on the train track. He just took off me. And I went, bloody hell, what's this thing? Mm. And when I, when I was pulling up, I was saying to the lads, this is not a two-year-old. I was adamant it wasn't a two-year-old. And I even asked the lad who looked after me, he goes, it is a two-year-old. I even went straight to Mr. Cecil. He said, never mind him. He says, get on midday. You're on midday next. <laughs> then I was on twice over. My comments afterwards, I said, never mind about those two. I said, that, that horse I just rode first, he said, it's a two-year-old. I said, if it is, I said, it's a machine. It happened to be Frankel. So you're, you're, you were chalked up, Frankel, midday, midday twice, twice over. over. Yeah. You're riding horses like that. You're like, the best work morning ever. And you're like, if at, Carlsberg did work mornings. At the time, when you think back, you think, bloody hell. They, like, you know, you think, you know, these are like, well, but at the time when you're doing it, you're, you're like, oh, yeah, it's just like a normal work day. Yeah. But when you think back now, the horses that I have ridden, you know, like, Mr. Cecil rode some very nice horses there. I even, when I was a kid, Mr. Rowan sent me to um, Howard's and I rode Dancing Brave. <laughs> you know, and the horses like that, he goes, well, I can say, like, I rode Dancing Brave, I rode, you know, Frankel, I rode Oath, I rode Ramroom, I rode quite a lot of horses, you know. Very good horse. So what was Dancing Brave like to ride at home? Greville Lord Mercy and me, he never rocked up, and I was riding him out. I was only, I was, I was, I was claiming seven, if not maybe five. I don't know, five. I rode him out for Greville to get on to gallop, and he never didn't rock up. So Howard's gallops were fantastic. He had the running timer, uh, a microphone on the rail, and it was also then in the 80s. It was videoed. So it'd be like, you know, you're riding... These horses, they can hear, he, had, he was so far advanced then, you could have heard him breathing when they're going by. And he, all, the, with the, all the, the gallops were recorded. And I used to watch him in the office in the afternoon every day. Way ahead of its time, wasn't it? Oh, they were like 15 years ahead of everybody else at the time. 
No. I was there with Gary Hine and we used to sit probably two hours to wait to see one bit of work and you go up and you, right, I'll have to do this next time. Or, you know what I mean? You're trying to improve your style because you can never see yourself right. So you'd be there all day to just to see one gallop that you're on. So you're trying to improve your pushing or improve your seat on a horse, you know. And so the career started in 1984. Yeah. You've ridden all these great horses. You've had many ups, a couple of bumps along the road, but you seem very happy now. Are you just going to keep going and going and going and going and going? I don't know. <laughs> How do you feel in yourself? I'm good. I look at them. I'm, I, I get out of bed every morning. Uh, as I say, I say, I ride out now for Mr. Stout, up every morning, work mornings at 4.30, normal day, it's 5.30. Go racing most days, ride, enjoy it. Don't do as much as I tear at it. I did a season, did last winter in Qatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 winners there. I've wrote, listen, I've wrote for, for some great people, great owners, great trainers over the years, you know what I mean? I've had a lot of help along the way, you know. And how is it now being a part of the Sir Michael Stout team? It's, it's good, it's very easy. Um, he's very laid back. He's old school. You know, probably I'm old school as well. And, you know, everyone is, he, he, appreciates, he appreciates your opinion. Mm. You know, it's like, and he'll ask your opinion, which is good. And you both started in the same place at Pat Rowan's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we both started Rowan's. He'd left when I started. Started training when I'd gone off to Mr. Rowan. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world.